Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, Captain David Campbell. Today I'll be speaking with MEC Chairman Captain Will McQuillan and having a kind of a recap of what's been happening over the last several weeks as we deal with the continuing coronavirus. Also, Strategic Planning Chairman Captain Ronan O'Donohue, he'll be speaking about the upcoming position bid. And later in the podcast, I'll bring in First Officer Steve Savage, who is our aeromedical chairman. So, Will, turning to you, you know, it feels in a way like we are in the eye of the storm in the sense that the day-to-day changes have slowed down a little bit. We have a little bit more of a sense of where we stand with the CARES Act and at least for the next month or so, things are reached kind of a stable new normal. Can you bring us up to speed and, and explain where we are to date? Yeah, I, I think that it is true that the daily uncertainty that we saw in March and April seems to have finally kind of taken a pause. And a lot of the things that we were focused on earlier, uh, like the CARES Act, that funding is now in place and we've got some payroll and work rule stability at least through the end of September. And uh, the company has met the loan application deadline, by the way, uh, of April 30th. And uh, per discussions that I had with uh, Shane Tackett just the other night, we do have uh, solid sources of liquidity lined up. So at least the the initial shock in response to the uh, pandemic is kind of shoring up a little bit. You know, in addition, obviously, the, the schedule is no longer being drawn down in real time like it was in April. We're kind of back to that non-April, um, well, definitely back to the non-April cancellation provisions of MOU 2004. And Pat should probably take note of that, that uh, now when there is a strategic cancellation in base, that pilots must once again be assigned a trip at the time of notification. Or if they've reported, they have a be be available, be available for four hours, but there's no additional um, 3 to 6 p.m. contactability period like there was in April. And uh, all this means is that the company and ALPA both now have time to focus on what recovery looks like and, most importantly, how it's going to impact the uh, the airline. But we can break out that uh, a little bit later. What is happening now at the MEC level now that you have extra time, as you say? Well, it's allowed us to really hone back in and focus on a few key pilot issues. You know, things have changed, obviously, since the pandemic hit. And some of uh, what we've been able to uh, achieve in terms of pilot priorities are reflected in those recently signed MOUs and letters of agreement. Um, specifically, we've been able to achieve more days off uh, with less flying while still protecting contractual uh, pay guarantees. Uh, continued to try and improve commutability issues with this reduced schedule. Um, restricted the use of premium pay in the event that they do furlough. And we've captured more flexibility in being able to use the incentive lines, making them more available to pilots who have uh, training or vacation days or both. You mentioned protecting contractual guarantees. What do you mean by that? Uh, That emphasis on focusing on protecting guarantees while pursuing pilot priorities is not accidental. Um, the company efforts to save cash during the pandemic stop with our contractual guarantees. And as mentioned today on the company earnings call, the gap between the CARES Act funding and the current payroll burden has been closed with the, the voluntary programs that are in place. So what else will the MEC be focusing on now for the pilots? Well, we'll continue to use this time to answer pilot questions and find ways to reach out. 
We know that pilots still have a lot of questions, and uh, we certainly learned that during the, the recent webinar. Um, we're continuing to update the FAQ document that was started with that webinar, and I do encourage pilots to read it, reach out to their reps with any questions that they have, and then uh, the reps, of course, will continue to bring those questions and concerns to the entire MEC. Probably there is one thing to note, though, that maybe there's one exception to this uh, rule of contact your reps with your concerns that we learned during the webinar. Um, along the lines of pilot questions that we're receiving, specifically about uh, retirement, well, we've learned there really is no general way to answer a lot of those questions for retirement. They are very uh, pilot-specific, and every pilot's circumstances and concerns are kind of unique. So maybe in that case, I would encourage pilots uh, to direct their questions directly to the RNI committee, who, along with Victoria Brady, have been going over and above to help pilots get those questions answered. So what's next, Will? What are the priorities over the next weeks and months? Well, we'll continue to shift our focus to the future now, and specifically what recovery looks like and what the pilots are really concerned about, specifically the furlough threat, uh, defending the contract and the future of our Section 6 negotiations. Um, as you know from our, our daily conference calls that we have, that sometimes run a couple of hours each, right? We, right? we spend every day conferencing and kind of evaluating the landscape, where we're headed, and what the pilot group is concerned about. So just because the landscape changed doesn't really mean that our goals have. Even in this environment, there's plenty of opportunity for us to advance the pilot's interests. Well, and speaking of recovery concerns, what can we say at this point about any potential furlough? I, I think pilots are concerned about that, especially as we've seen at some other airlines recently. Uh, United is a good example. They've got a pretty big drawdown, it looks like. Yeah, United's the first to really move to address the future with that realignment bid. And um, the United bid reduction has certainly highlighted that the, the threat is real on furloughs and that the industry is starting to see some clarity that things are going to be different in terms of fleet and company size for sure. Now I'll admit that the size of that United realignment is sobering and also take the opportunity to caution pilots not to automatically translate the size of the United cut to be applicable across the industry. Why is that? Uh, there's differences that don't necessarily translate directly to Alaska or to another domestic carrier. Well, yeah, it's a good point. How does being an international carrier affect a difference between us? Now, the, from what I see from ALPA economic finance and analysis and, you know, in the press, that international demand is certainly forecast to be more impacted for a longer period. Um, the international pull-down impacts more crews than domestic for a given plane-for-plane plane plane basis, if you will. You know, they have augmented crews. Yeah, that makes sense. How about contractual elements of furlough protection, those differ from carrier to carrier. Are we seeing any effect of that? I, yeah, I think so. Um, for instance, I think that some of the larger carriers, like specifically here with United, has contractual provisions that uh, require a greater notice of furlough if they plan to, to furlough deeply, greater than uh, 90 days for somebody hired before 2016. So United and some of the big multi-fleet carriers are going to have to start that process of realignment earlier than, for example, Alaska would. We'll still have some time to, to make decisions based on our contractual language. Yeah, I suppose from carrier to carrier, there is a little bit of anticipation of what the recovery looks like will, will also affect those decisions. Yeah, obviously. Everybody's modeling things um, 
independently and looking at what the changes they're potentially going to have to make based on their own threats and opportunities. Well, it seems that has definitely started a conversation that most carriers have been silent on so far. Yeah, that's true. I think we're finally starting to see some consensus on the modeling that full recovery is going to take more than a year, with uh, some of the modeling saying that uh, it will take up to three years. And what do you know about us so far? Well, the modeling here at Alaska, we've been attending a regular cadence of meetings now set up with all of the MEC officers and senior management where they come in and they share what they're seeing and then we take and cross-check that narrative against what ALPA economic finance and analysis also sees. And uh, I guess I can speak to the fact that the company modeling includes um, an independent firm that they've contracted with that takes a look specifically at how Alaska's recovery looks compared to its its peers, at the opportunities and the threats that the carrier um, will will face as it goes forward. You know, and I think we've said it earlier, and I know we said it on the webinar. They're modeling scenarios at this point with no firm commitment. They look at a high scenario, a low scenario, and then you know two more likely in between scenarios. In other words, a very optimistic recovery picture, a very pessimistic recovery picture which notably, um, you know, United cited in some of their modeling, and then two that are probably more more likely in between, and that's where the, the debate continues, is where, where they think things will end up, and they'll have first visibility on some of that here shortly. All right, so it, it sounds like, I mean, in a way, it's still a little early to have any definitive statement about what that's going to look like. I mean, you've said that they are modeling and that the fall demand projections are, are the first critical point, right? Yep. When, when do we expect or anticipate that the company could tell us something more definitive? Yeah, the company's indicated to us that June is really the earliest that they can take uh, an educated wag at what the, the fall is going to look like. You know, those two crit critical points being the fall and next summer. So I anticipate we're about a month out from having a little more clarity on the issue. Um, you know, they keep saying that for now, other than removing airplanes that they have identified are clear underperformers, they haven't made decisions yet about what the airline's going to look like in terms of, of ultimate size. And, you know, I, I've said it many, many times before, but once there is a projection made on their part, we will talk to the pilots immediately. All right, so there shouldn't be any delay. When you know it, we'll we'll let the pilots know. That's what you're saying. Yes, as always, we'll be completely transparent whether the news is good or bad. But having said that, there is a little bit of clarity we can offer, though, as it relates to a potential furlough in light of the current position bid you just alluded to, right? Yeah, that that's right, David. It. If there is a bright side to any of this, it does kind of establish a, a timeline for a, a potential furlough, and that's because this reduction bid um, that we're going to talk about during the podcast, the one that's open now and closes next week, sets a known timeline for when a furlough might happen. Um, because this current bid has an effective date of November 1st, any reduction bid that would follow it, uh, a bid that would furlough pilots, couldn't happen before December 1st at the very earliest. Yeah, in a way, because you can't have a bid within a bid. They have to complete that whole process before they introduce the next bid. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, there have been questions about could they cancel this current bid and then, you know, do another bid to furlough. Well, 
Yes and no, because as we've already learned from the May cancellation, they would have to rewind any training that had been done to date and then comply with a whole other bid timeline. So if assuming that there are no changes to the bid as it's constructed right now, December 1st would be the very earliest that you could see an actual furlough bid. Yeah, and it seems like even if they canceled that bid and wound it back, that wouldn't really buy them any time. Not, not materially, no. Mm-hmm. I, I think that they're committed to this bid for all the reasons that were stated on the earnings call and that have uh, been articulated uh, starting back with uh, with John Ladner's letter um, that the, free, the fleet realignment um, is important to them and they want to take advantage of that opportunity to do the training. What else is maybe, as you described it, a bright side to that November timeline? Well, I suppose that uh, let's just it gives us a good timeline to fully vet and explore uh, the furlough mitigation um, strategies that are called for in Section 23 of the CBA, because let's say hypothetically they were to come and uh, you know forecast a furlough in June, we would have the time from that forecast all the way through. December now to make sure that any mitigation strategies would fully play out. Right. And it's important to remember everything we've been doing to date is not furlough mitigation, even though it may look like it. Can you shed more light on that? Yeah, right, David. I think we've had some questions and some confusion on that. The the key is that the pay guarantees are protected in what we've done to date. And so a lot of what we've done may look in some ways like uh, furlough mitigation, but it it really isn't. However, asterisk, I will say that Section 23 does um, also mention retirement incentive programs as part of a furlough mitigation strategy. So, well, all that's true, but I'm a little confused because Section 23 also includes early out discussions for retirees, and and that is something that we've been trying to get the company to talk to us about what's nuance that for me yeah that is true that it is formally spelled out as a furlough mitigation strategy but more importantly it was a pilot priority uh, which is the reason that we started the discussion on the retirement incentives uh, when the pandemic hit so that that's being driven by pilots reaching out to their reps and and asking for it right Co- not correct. not yeah. as a means to protect potential furloughees but just as a means to Retire early. Sure. Ultimately, a fully vetted, fully flushed out retirement incentive program would have the effect, obviously, of mitigating a furlough. But it was true that our pilots reached out and indicated that that was a priority. The pandemic hit and they wanted us to explore that. And uh, they said we we did have traction with the company. And now they've said that they just need greater clarity, if you will, on the recovery and what staffing will look like. and as we said earlier, they think they're going to have that in June. So it's our firmest expectation that that would be the point at which we should pick up those discussions again. And we continue to ask about it every opportunity we get. Okay. But probably you'll, you expect you'll get back to it with the company in June. Uh, we'll continue to, to right. push it this month. But yeah. I, I imagine if the narrative that they say they need clarity on staffing is June and that's also what triggers their their interest in the retirement incentives. Then perhaps that's going to be where we'll we'll see the conversations pick up again. Okay. Well, of course we'll communicate that out when that those talks pick back up again. Yep, absolutely. And as I said, don't don't read too much into that. We're continuing to ask for that conversation because pilots have told us it's still important to them. Okay. Well, I'm sure that questions about furlough will be a topic of our discussions on these podcasts and elsewhere in the future. 
I do want to turn now to some other topics that are on pilots' minds and perhaps start with the large reduction bid that's out now and closes next week. I know pilots have a lot of questions on why this happened and what it may mean about the future. Yeah, that was the the first question we had among many was why this happened and does it really mean anything about the future? And uh, I I think I'll let Ronan speak to many of the concerns about the bid, but I can start with the uh, the why and does it actually mean anything when it comes to a fleet decision based on some of the discussions that we've had. Um, the why piece, uh, the company has kind of articulated that. They put together a, a list of all the airplanes in the fleet, and they, they really did look at or try to make a case for which ones were the most um, advantageous to keep and the ones that were the, uh, the least um, desirable from an economics standpoint to operate. And uh, the bottom of that list seemed to consistently include the uh, the 319s and then some of the 320s that uh, have an expensive cabin mod that's pending on them. And uh, they committed to not bringing those airplanes back and realigning the Airbus uh, pilots with this bid. Uh, the company does insist, though, that this doesn't mean anything about a fleet decision, just simply that those are assets that they, they really don't want to have returned to to service and that uh, future Airbus interests are, as they've said, are potentially in the 321 and the 321 only. But what about the stated intent to backfill these airplanes with the MAX? I mean, you know, let's be honest, we don't know for sure that that's going to come online when they need it. I think pilots read into this bid and assume that these 19 airplanes and the corresponding number of pilots are maybe the tip of a furlough. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree. It's easy to assume that. And it's true that claiming the MAX as the replacement seems like a pretty sketchy narrative, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the reality is is that uh, the leasing market right now is indeed a, a buyer's market if there is such a thing. But uh, right now, if the demand is there, the company could certainly backfill the, the gap with other um, NG aircraft, with other Boeings if they, they wanted to, for example. But we don't have any clarity on that. So it, whether you, you buy the, the narrative that the MAX is going to be the backfill or not, since it's not even certified in flying yet, there is an opportunity to, to pick up flying. Well, Ronan, from the pilot's perspective, what, how will this impact them? Uh, in other words, what's the pilot impact of this bid? I know we've modeled it, but what are concerns or, that you see? Yeah, thanks, David. I do have um, many concerns, actually, when it comes to the not only to the actual processing of the bid itself, but then to its uh, other unintended consequences, such as potential downgrades, etc. Um, it's one of the reasons why I think it's so important that um, folks are really, really paying attention right now to to the fact that this bid is open when it closes and then how they bid. And I'll get into that here in a little bit, but. This this thing has 120 reductions in um, the captain seat and 120 reductions pretty much evenly distributed. There's a small difference between L.A. and San Francisco when it comes to the first officer seats. But in essence, it's still going to be 120 of both seats that are going to be evaporating and getting redistributed into the Boeing system. Um, just to touch on the actual bidding itself and just from several phone calls I've fielded and, and people that I've talked to, there is a couple of uh, misinterpretations of the language and a few people that um, really need to be careful of exactly what they're doing. But the first and most important thing is in order to be considered displaced, you have to have a completely unqualified bid. 
um, for your current seat and your current base. And so what that means is they have the bid qualifiers that will put you at a certain number within a base. And we have to make sure that that's not the case. So you do not want to put that in there if you want to take advantage of this placement language. And yeah, and hey, Ronan. The other thing, to, Ronan. Yes. Can, um, let me interrupt you here for just a second because that is a really important point, and I, I want to make sure our pilots catch that about the the qualified bid. And so, can you put a, yeah. a a fine point on that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So, and actually, it's it, thanks for bringing that up, David, because there's another point as well that I need to make sure that a couple of people have also misunderstood and that is that it's an actual number and not a percentage so when before on the airbus folks would bid something they would bid a percentage and seat in base so what they would do is for example they would bid la 320 captain and they would put a number 80 in there which meant i want to be in the top 80 percent well with this system if you put the number 80 it means that you want to be the 80th person or higher in that base it's not a percentage. So if you're looking at 160 positions in a base, putting 80 will put you in the top 50%. That is is really going to get some people in trouble if they're not paying attention to it. And so if, for example, you put yourself in that position and then you put um, your second choice was, let's just say, San Francisco, 320 captain, and then your third choice, you started looking at downgrades or moving yourself to another base completely, you could actually downgrade yourself. So it is really, really important that people are paying attention to the bid qualifier um, and making sure that they're not putting that in there if they are in danger of actually, you know, in, in any way at all moving out of their seat. Um, the other thing, too, that's a common misunderstanding with this current bid is folks are thinking that there's going to be an opportunity to move between bases. And, Will, I know you and I have talked about this extensively, but... I don't see a world where there's going to be any proffered vacancies um, in the Airbus. So anybody who's backing up their position with strictly a, well, if I can't hold Los Angeles, I'll hold San Francisco. That's, that's not going to be the case. It's just, there, there will be a very few possibly at the very bottom of the list that will be able to do that, but there will be no openings. So somebody more senior that thinks that they're going to be able to take a position in San Francisco, that just won't happen on this bid. So it's really, really important that people are not doing that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, just to, to put a point on it, that if the base is being reduced, as San Francisco is, for an L.A. pilot who wanted to bid into San Francisco, you would have to satisfy every one of those reductions and then have another pilot leave and create a proffered vacancy in order to make that an awardable position for that L.A. pilot. And then it, it's theoretically possible, but it's highly improbable. Obviously, just like you said. All right. And that's, that's my fear is that some guys are thinking that that's, that's going to be an option or even that they will see an opportunity for themselves to switch bases. And it's just not going to, I just don't see it happening at all, um, in this one. And the really other thing that I want to talk about is this has the potential to, to, um, cause downgrades and it most likely will. And, Folks need to be paying attention on the bottom of the lists in all of the bases to make sure that they have a backup plan set in place in their bidding. Um, in the event that, for example, there's 53 open vacancies for captains in L.A., and, I, and even I think that's light still. I, am, I actually asked for a little bit more if there was any ability for them to do that, but 
I do believe that that's going to be a little bit on the light side, knowing the Airbus community like I do. And I see a lot of folks trying to get down to the Los Angeles area. So that will, in turn, cause junior captains in Los Angeles to potentially be displaced themselves. And they'll be looking for a new home, whether it be in the left seat somewhere else or for whatever bidding they want to do if they want to stay in their own base in the right seat. So people need to to make sure in the bottom of the seniority lists all all throughout the system that they're um, they're making sure that they have as will calls it a will on file in case uh, something happens here that that it gets to them in some way shape or form so it's really really important um, that folks bid and make sure that they're bidding correctly and again if any questions or anything like that pops up I'm more than happy to take any calls or or Will Swoveland or any of us actually would be more than happy to answer any questions yeah, this, so, yeah, this is definitely not the time to have an unanswered question or, or bid with uncertainty with this type of a reduction in force. It's very important that you know exactly what you're doing with your position bid and get those questions answered. So um, I would encourage everybody to, to reach out. And to your finer point, when you call it a will, I, I also call it the, the complete defensive bid, which is just to assume you know, that you're not going to be able to hold your first choice. So what is your second choice, third choice, fourth choice? Bid it all the way down so that uh, Section 24E6 of the contract doesn't control your fate. Exactly. As you mentioned that complete defensive bid, let me make sure that I'm following what you're saying. There's, um, Ronan, as you mentioned, on the one hand, there's probably not going to be opportunity to go from one base to another just if you if you want to move. However... That that shouldn't stop you from, say, if you're a, a junior to a, a mid-level and uh, seniority captain from bidding a captain position in other bases to protect yourself, right? Those are different things, yeah. correct? That's a great point. And actually, I want to clarify what I, what I said there because it's important. You just hit on something. There is opportunities, like if for a, an LA 7-3 captain to go to Seattle as a 7-3 captain, this is, I'm talking mainly in the fleets that are being reduced, which is the Airbus. So yes, there is opportunity for folks to go into other positions in the system where there's open vacancies, or if they're displaced, they have then got displacement rights to, to exercise that elsewhere within the system. What I'm talking about there, David, is strictly um, moving within a, a fleet that's being reduced and that we don't see any opportunities within that fleet that's being reduced. So thanks for asking that question because it's a really good point. Yeah, and I just wanted to make sure pilots um, heard that you should bid. I mean, if you want to protect your captain position in particular, don't be afraid to bid captain in other bases so that if you are displaced, you are, as Will likes to say, you're not dying without a will. You, you're telling the the company that I want to hold a captain position, and and I, I'm willing to go to a different base to hold that position. Yeah, we we've, we've exactly. seen this years over years and watching these position bids, and it sometimes I am a little bit struck by how something that is so important, you know, regarding your seat as a captain, the base that you fly out of, or the equipment that you fly, that sometimes you see behavior that indicates that people didn't put a lot of thought into their bid. This is truly a case of bid what you want and want what you bid and bid defensively to protect your interests. That's the smartest thing every pilot who is junior 
can do at this point in time. Yeah, and even a senior pilot, they're not harmed by putting in a bid for their current base and position as long as they don't qualify it. Well, I was going to say that, exactly. that that's the that's the risk that we run when we see senior pilots put a bid in is that sometimes if they haven't bid in a long time, uh, you'll see that's the number one mistake we see is the using the bid position qualifier and they put in number BP1 for their first choice, BP2 for their second choice. And uh, we've said it, I believe, on other podcasts before that we have actively seen somebody downgrade themselves from an L.A. captain to an Anchorage first officer using that strategy. Right, right. I think if you take away one thing from this discussion, it's if you find yourself in that base position list, you should be nervous and call someone and make sure you're doing it right or or don't mess with it at all. You mean using the BP qualifier? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ronan, I know there have been a lot of questions about the red circle captains. Can you explain that? Yeah, sure. Um, so the red circle is basically, it comes out of the seniority list integration award um, that came in in 2018 and I, I guess the easiest way is just to actually read what it actually says and that is a red circle captain are those pilots of pre-merger Alaska Airlines or Virgin America seniority lists who as of implementation date either A held a captain position B have completed qualification training for a captain position C have begun qualification training or D, have an awarded captain vacancy on a bid award prior to the implementation date. Now, the implementation date of the SLI was December 1st of 2018. So that's the marker. And that's the point at which um, folks would be considered a red circle if they had one of those four conditions met prior to that date. My sincere hope is that in this reduction bid, that it would not downgrade anybody who had an award prior to that date. I don't see that, and I, I hope that's not the case. But if that is the case and somebody is in that group, then I would refer them directly to the language. And it's in the uh, Seniority List Integration Award. And that, that, I believe, is on our website. Is that correct, David? Yeah, it is. Once you log on, and, and the address for that is alaskapilots.org, You'll see in the top banner, there is a selection called communications. And if you hover over that, a drop down that says ALA VRD integration pops up. And that's got everything that had to do with the integration, including the arbitration award. And as you said earlier, the red circle is part of the conditions and restrictions, which is found toward the bottom or toward the end of that document. I'll put a link in the show notes too so that you can um, just click on that and get you right there or at least pretty close. Ronan, given that there is at least the potential for displacements, what provisions are there in the contract that would help someone who was forced into a different domicile, particularly if they wanted to actually move there physically? If you're forced to move or to relocate, um, there is provisions there to protect you. So mainly the San Francisco crowd is what I'm, I'm thinking of here because there is no 737 in San Francisco to make sure these guys need to make sure that they're looking at the contract and the, uh, the provisions that are provided to them when they're being forced to move out of their base. And again, anybody needs any clarity or anything on that, please don't hesitate to uh, reach out to your, your own representatives or to any of us. And we'll be glad to walk you through that. So. 
And the last point that I'd like to make is it's just really, really tough on folks. Again, we're very aware of this as an MEC, um, very empathetic towards people's positions and the anxiety that's out there. And there is resources there for folks as we go through these things and to make sure that they, um, firstly, they've got their reps, but to make sure that they're reaching out and talking to people because these are extremely trying times. And again, I hold my position that, you know, I'm, the thoughts of going through, I'm not looking forward to going through the uh, three months up in Seattle and the simulators here for, um, for type rating, but you know, I'm looking at that the same as everybody else. And it's just not something that's um, very appealing to me in this current environment with this pandemic. But I mean, I do want to say that I have seen a lot of the other committees and a lot of the work that they've done, um, within our MEC and the COVID task force and, um, Steve Savage and his team with the pilot for pilots, they just do fantastic work and just knowing that they're out there, just, um, trying to make sure that everything can be done as safely and as, um, just keeping everybody as just basically as safe during this thing as possible is a really big deal to me. So. Thanks, Ronan. You make a perfect segue for me actually to the next person I want to bring into this conversation, which is Steve Savage, our aeromedical committee chairman who also uh, covers that committee. You mentioned the pilot peer support. And one of the things that I had wanted to do when we started these podcasts was to periodically highlight the work of a particular committee And given that everything that we are facing with COVID-19, I think the Aeromedical Committee is a good one to highlight. So let's move on to uh, bring in Steve Savage. Before you you do that, though, I do want to take an opportunity, David, to say a big blanket thank you to all the committee volunteers who've been working um, diligently over time and largely on autopilot since the uh, pandemic began. Uh, A couple of key committees, they're all working so hard, but uh, in particular, the scheduling volunteers and contract compliance team that have been policing the uh, implementation of the MOUs and some of these big schedule changes that that we've seen. Um, Everybody's been putting in some pretty long hours, uh, central air safety volunteers and the members of the COVID-19 task group. Thank you, Will. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. Well, let's turn now to Steve Savage. Steve, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So, Steve, in your position as both the aeromedical chairman and the pilot peer support chairman, you've been able to kind of see what's been going on in the last couple months, both at our company and industry-wide. What are some of the trends that are affecting pilots? Yeah, right now there's a lot of stress out there, and it's all you know due to that COVID-19 being front and center. Um, right now, though, mostly... Uh, pilots are wondering if they need to start looking for a plan B, you know, the stress at being home cooped up with your family. Uh, that's adding a lot of stress and then financial stress looking down the line. You know, how am I going to provide for the family? I'd say those are the main triggers right now. Right. And I think, you know, pilots are, have different life experiences and different things going on in their life and uh, they're going to be affected differently. So for those that, you know, may be having some problems, I think a big thing to say is that that's not unique. They're not alone. Uh, Other people are going through that. You're seeing that throughout the industry from your perspective. And uh, so I just remind people that, you know, that's, that's kind of, it's a normal reaction to what's going on right now. What 
would you say to people that are having that trouble? You know, what what can your committees do for them, or or what advice would you have? Yeah, if I had a pilot get a hold of me and we start talking about you know some things, stress going on in their life, um, I would highly encourage them to uh, start a self health self care plan. Um, and there's not one size fits all, but you know have people you know, focus on taking care of their physical health, you know, working out, staying active. Um, that helps during times of high stress. Uh, manage your stress where you can. I mean, a lot of this stuff we don't have any control over. So, you know, learn to say no, ask for help. Um, then, you know, that emotional and spiritual needs, that we have, you know, it might be doing yoga or reading a book, meditation, you know, just quieting the mind for 10 minutes a day can help immensely. Or if it's even watching your church service on a platform. Um, and then, you know, we're kind of isolated right now. Now, if you have a family, you got people around you. But if you're just a single guy or gal, you know, stay in touch with family and friends. Yeah, that's that's good advice. I, I know I've had a few Zoom meetings that keep me connected with the people I'm doing the Alpa work with, and I and we've done a few of those things with the family as well. That's it's it feels weird, but it's almost like getting out of the house. I think when you can see somebody else's yeah yeah it helps for those people that are stuck at home with a bunch of family members there that can create its own kind of stressors and. We talked about this a while ago, but it's probably worth knowing that if you want to talk to a counselor, that that you can do it and not have to report it on your FAA medical. It's it's not one of those sorts of reported events, right? Correct. So you know, family counseling, especially right now, if you're cooped up with your you know significant other, or your and your kids, and something's not going right, and you need someone to get in there and help that you know mediate. Yeah, it's a great tool um, to get the home front, I guess we'll say, in order. And yeah, it's not reportable to the FAA. And during these this COVID time, you know, you can do this via video chat. And then also, don't forget about the uh, pilot peer support. You know, so you might be having you know personal problems or family problems, but even if it's like financial or work problems, you can call the pilot peer support hotline, talk to a trained pilot volunteer. It'll be confidential and it's not reportable, just like family counseling. Good to know. And if a pilot did want to call pilot peer support or you or one of the other committees under the umbrella that, that you work with, what's the best number to do that? Uh, 309-PPS-ALPA or 309 777 2572. And that's available 24 hours a day, right? Someone's always monitoring. Yeah, 24 7, 365 days out of the year. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. Any any last comments? Uh, well, I know these are very difficult times for some people, but remember, aviation always comes back. We will get through this. And if you need help with anything, reach out. All right. Thank you very much, Steve.
And Will, I want to weave you back into this conversation and uh, remind you of uh, an analogy I made at the beginning of the podcast, which was that we are kind of in the eye of the storm, or at least it feels that way. And I think one of the things that's giving it uh, both a, that feeling of of a lull like you might have in the eye of a storm and also uh, a feeling of increased stress and anxiety is that we don't know what's coming up next. Yeah, I think that's very true. And in many ways, I think we're actually in the most stressful part of the downturn. Uh, we were in today, I and the other officers talking to uh, the last group of new hires, the, the group of 22 that were um, part of the May bid that we were able to retain jobs for. And I really went back in time to 9-11 and to 2008 all over again and recognizing just how stressful this piece of the, the puzzle is. It's this time period where we're missing, as you said, clarity on so many of these issues that matter to the pilots, right? Furloughs and possible displacements. And the worst part is is just not knowing, not having the answers. And as we've said, you know, today on the podcast and as we've already noted, uh, this anxiety takes a, a huge personal toll in everybody's daily life. Um, and it's worth noting, too, that the anxiety is what makes us makes us vulnerable. Um, fear isn't how we manage emergencies in an airplane. A, a disciplined approach based on facts is. And the key is to stay focused on, as I've said before, what we know and focus on facts and, and don't allow fear to drive our decision-making at this time. Some of this will get easier as we get clarity. Even if it's bad news, uh, you know, at least then we know what checklist to use to continue the analogy. The, uh, the key is not to allow the uncertainty to take a personal toll on our personal health or especially to jeopardize safety. Right. And I think this is also a time to think about rumors. When there are these lulls in new information coming at you, it's a common time to start filling that gap. And so I brought this up before, and I know you have two Please make sure you don't fall prey to those rumors. Cross-check your instruments, and in this case, your instruments are other sources from ALPA, different MEC and LEC officers. Just make sure that what you're getting is, is good information uh, as much as it can be. Yeah, uh, getting through this downturn is not going to be easy, and none of them ever have been right you and i've been through a few right and as i've said before it, it's really going to require that thirty thousand foot view not a 300 foot view um, at some point every pilot is going to find some part of getting through this downturn unpalatable to them personally and i cannot stress enough that we need to focus on the most important thing which is unity and the pilot group at large I've said many, many times that uh, what we need to do is take good care of each other and stay unified and stay focused, and, and that's how we get through this. So I, I think it bears repeating, as we do with every podcast, I think we have to thank all of the pilots for how well we've done so far. I and the MSC truly appreciate the professionalism of this pilot group. Uh, they've just continued to exceed expectations. And, Will, on behalf of the volunteers and the other pilots, I'd like to thank you, too, for the role you're playing. Uh, I appreciate that, but it has nothing to do with me as it does the, the team. 
I mean, it really is a solid team of volunteers. We, we talked about the key committee volunteers that are working so hard, but also the officer group um, at large. And we each have strengths that we're able to, to build upon, and we're each able to take care of uh, where, you know, we fall short and our weaknesses. So I have a lot of, uh, lot of faith and a lot of appreciation for the team that's in place. Yeah, as, as do I. Well, thank you, and thanks for coming in to record another one of these. Yep, I uh, do appreciate the opportunity, David. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. Yeah, thank you, David. Appreciate it. And I'd like to thank you for listening out there. You've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communication Chairman, Captain David Campbell.